following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's get in our Bibles. Uh, This is the last sermon in our Vision, Mission, and Values series, and today we are going to focus on the subject of church leadership, okay? And I know this may not sound like a particularly exciting subject to some of you, but if we are talking about the vision and mission and values of a church, the way that the leadership is structured and the way it functions, it will have, it does have an enormous impact on that church's effectiveness and long-term faithfulness to Jesus and his gospel. It really, really matters. And, and as we've been saying throughout this series, hopefully we say it more than just in this series, but Love City is a church that is committed to the supremacy and the sufficiency of God's word. And so what that means is we look to the Bible for instruction around these things with considerations of pragmatism and practicality submitting to the revealed will of God in the scriptures. Okay, so let me say that a little simpler. What I mean by that is that our first question, trying to figure out what to do or how to do it, is not what do we think will work? Okay? Our first question is, what does God's word say? And that's, that's important. Because if God's word says it, it will work, <laughs> okay? Uh, just, that's maybe obvious, but worth saying. Um, and so that's, that's our approach when we are plotting a course or we're trying to navigate any given subject. Uh, I do want to address those of you that may be visiting today, and Love City is, is not a church that you intend on being a member of. If that's you, then this subject, it, it, it may seem even less relatable than it would to uh, some other folks. However, I want to encourage you to consider the importance that there is for believers to understand what the Bible does teach about how local churches should be structured. Because if you're not going to be here, our hope is that you'll be connected somewhere that has both a biblical and healthy leadership team that takes seriously the task of caring for your soul. All right? Uh, So what we're going to do is read 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, the whole chapter, it's 16 verses, and uh, then we'll, we'll get in here and <clears throat> see what the Lord has to say to us, all right? 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, here we go. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious... Uh, pugnacious means like quarrelsome, okay? And your homework this week is to work the word pugnacious into a conversation and then report back to me on how it went, all right? Pugnacious, okay? So they can't be quarrelsome, quick to fight, quick tempered. That's what that means, okay? They need to be, instead, they need to be gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? 
and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Verse 15 is part of what I would give you as a case of why this stuff matters. If you listen to the way Paul talks about it, this is big, okay? Verse 16, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Praise God for his word. Now, I think the first thing we need to address is right off the bat, um, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, okay? So first of all, let's talk about what an overseer is because, full disclosure, there is not universal agreement about what that means or the application of that within the body of Christ, okay? Uh, But I think part of what we're doing, this is a sermon series on vision, mission, and values for this church. So part of what it is is explaining how it is we understand the Bible to be teaching this, all right? So there's some translations, like the King James Version, for example, good old King Jimmy. Uh, they translate this Greek word, the, the word overseer here in the Greek is episkopos, all right? And so there's some translations that have, that have rendered that bishop, all right? And that translation has, has led to a, in some corners of Christianity, a hierarchy type structure where you have leaders in certain denominations that they're, they're not an active part of a local church, but they have authority over the elders in that church. All right. Uh, however, if just where we stand, and if I think if you look carefully at the way this term is used throughout the New Testament, we can see pretty quickly that this, that's not really the way the apostles applied this word, okay? Uh, episkopos or overseer, all right? So, uh, first of all, looking at Titus 1.5, and when you're looking at qualifications of, of, of elders, leaders within the church, there's strong kind of reflective parallel between uh, 1 Timothy 3 and, and uh, these scriptures in Titus chapter 1. But let me read this to you, okay? So this is Titus 1, starting in verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete. So this is Paul writing to Christian leader Titus, all right? So he left him in Crete to do what? That you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. That Greek word is presbyteros. In every city as I directed you, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer... Again, that's our word, episkopos, must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious. There it is again. So you see that these, these lists are very similar. Not fond of sordid game, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. All right? Um, I do find it interesting that as we read these qualifications for church leadership, 
I didn't hear anything about charisma. Uh, I didn't hear anything about fashion sense. I didn't hear anything about being entertaining. Um, and, and I just want to submit that to you because I think a lot of times as people are gauging uh, what it is they're looking for in somebody that's going to care for their soul in America uh, and in the West, in, in a place where we have been trained to uh, only involve ourselves in things that keep us enamored and engaged and entertained. Uh, I, I didn't hear anything about that. As a matter of fact, the only real skill mentioned in either of these lists is able to teach. Everything else is a character quality. Everything else has to do with the character of the leader. It's not, it, Paul's focus is not on skills. He must dress well and be a great fundraiser. And I, none of that's in there. But it's, these are a lot of the times the things that even kind of baked into the cake of how people are assessed for leadership in churches. It, it, it can be very easy, and we can understand why, to get overly focused on a set of skills we tend to think is important. And sometimes what ends up being sacrificed is a proper focus on those character qualities that are the exclusive focus of what the apostle said is important. Okay, so I'll just toss that tennis ball to you. You can catch it if you'd like. Look it over. Uh, <clears throat> one, part of what I wanted you to see in, in Titus 1.5 is he says, um, so you can set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. It's presbyteros. And then in verse 7, he, he just says, for the overseer must be above approach. And so this is all together. And what I'm showing you is, this is not the only place. I'm going to show it to you. Peter does it too. They use these terms interchangeably. This Greek word translated elder, this Greek word translated overseer, they're used right here in the same paragraph talking about the same qualifications for the same office of leadership. Okay? So that overseer, elder, it's all talking about the same office, it would seem. All right? Now, <clears throat> this next set of verses, I want you to listen super carefully because uh, there's going to be a quiz at the end. All right? I know you guys really like it when I do this, so I always try to work these in for your sake. Uh, I'm going to try to emphasize some words, though, to make it really easy. So hopefully... I won't stump you. All right, so I'm in 1 Peter 5. We're still establishing what are overseers, okay? What, how, how do we see that? What is, how does the Bible seem to present that idea? And what I'm floating to you is that elder, overseer, and then we're going to touch pastor here in a minute. That that's all talking about the same thing. 1 Peter 5, 5. Listen carefully. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. So that's important. Peter considers himself a fellow elder and and who's he addressing? I exhort the elders. Okay, good. <clears throat> so he's a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So here's his exhortation. Here's what you need to do, elders. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but provide, approving to be examples to the flock. Okay? So again, we already did this one. This is a freebie. So who was Peter addressing? He's exhorting elders, right? And then, what did he say they should do for the flock of God? What should, what should, they, what should elders do for the flock of God? They should what them? shepherd them, okay? So shepherd the flock of God, and then they're supposed to exercise something not under compulsion. What was it? Oversight, okay? So we have elders, we have 
this word shepherd, shepherding, so this is the verb form of the word poimen, which is shepherd, okay, in the Greek. And then we have oversight, which is the verb form of that word overseer, episkopos, okay? So we've got all of these things being used interchangeably and and within the job description, according to Peter, uh, who was Peter, leader of the apostles, hand-selected by Jesus. So if if Peter thinks this is a good idea or the right way to talk about it, I don't know. I'm probably going to go with that. Okay, so... So Peter's addressing elders. He tells them to shepherd the flock of God and to, and to exercise oversight with all of these qualifiers that are very helpful and terrifying if you're <laughs> an elder. Uh, but uh, praise God, we're not doing it by our strength. So now I'm going to read. So now we're going to tie in. So what I'm saying to you is that that overseer in the qualifications in Timothy is being used here interchangeably with elders, but then we've now... Peter has brought this shepherding element into the chat, okay? And so when you look at Ephesians 4, verse 11, it it talks about gifts that God has given to the church, okay? Gifts of leadership. So he talks about uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. And when that word pastor in Ephesians 4, there it is again, that's poimen, okay? So here we're seeing, and that's really the only use of that word you find in the New Testament. You see shepherding more often, but this title, this office of being a pastor is, is just seen here in Ephesians 4. And so we, we see that in Peter's mind, that job of shepherding is tied to the job of eldering and the job of oversight, and it's kind of all together, all right? Now, if you've followed me so far, I think you've, you've got what I'm saying. Overseer, elder, pastor... These terms and the duties associated with them are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And and there's more places where we could go, but I know some of you are probably hanging on by a thread already because I've thrown out three, maybe four Greek words. uh, (laughs) And, you know, you're probably struggling thus far to see how this applies personally to what you've gone through this week. Give me some time. I'll work on that at the end because it does matter. All right. But you got to let me get there. So. So then, let's look then at the qualifications we saw in 1 Timothy 3 of an overseer, all right? Uh, First of all, if if there's a desire, then that's that's a fine work for him to desire to do, okay? An overseer then must be above reproach, okay? So that doesn't just mean uh, not doing wrong things or doing right things, but being even mindful of the perception, right? Uh, that elders should operate in such a way that it does not lend them to being having accusations brought against them because that can harm the work of the gospel and even the sheep, okay? Um, should be the husband of one wife. A lot of debate on what that means. Uh, suffice it to say, at the bare minimum, we're talking about a man that is faithful to his wife, okay? I don't want to get into the weeds of all the debate around that right now, because uh, <clears throat> there is a lot of weeds, but I got a lot of things I need to show you today. So temperate uh, <clears throat> and prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, right? So uh, temperate is like self-control, right? Would be another way to say that. Uh, prudent, being wise, respectable. I think most of you know that word. Hospitable, uh, somebody that is, is welcoming to people uh, and, and able to teach. And, and you'll see that able to teach is the, the, really the one major distinction between the list of qualifications for an elder, overseer, pastor, and a deacon. 
you don't see the qualification that they need to be able to teach in that list for deacons, okay? And that's, that's important as well in trying to understand how those two leadership offices interact with each other, okay? Uh, must be one who managed, oh, sorry, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Those are all fairly self-explanatory. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Man, what a principle. Uh, one that I think is oftentimes overlooked. One that can be very easily, you can lose your grip on it. Particularly after being in the ministry for some amount of time. Uh, the demands are great. The opportunities to help people are numerous. And it can, it's a very easy pull to begin to look past your own family. And, and, and be trying to meet the needs of everybody else. And I'm, I'm so thankful uh, that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul put this qualification in here and explained it. He didn't just say he needs to manage his own household well. He said, and if he can't, how the heck is he going to do anything? If he can't manage his little house, how's he going to be able to do anything managing the household of God? And I, I think there has, to be, there has to be grace applied to this. I think sometimes people can be overly harsh in terms of, of what this means and how it plays out. But the, the, conviction, the conviction that comes out of this instruction, of all of the qualifications of an elder that I think about the most, this is the one I think about the most. And if there's one that keeps me up at night and keeps me on my knees in prayer before God, and has for all of the time that I've tried to serve in this capacity... I believe by God's will, that's the, one, that's the one I'm most worried about messing up. Because I can see in myself the tendency to forget to pastor my own family well in seeking to try to love and pastor other people. And, and I'm not going to go so far as to say that it's a fear, because I don't want to operate out of fear, but it's probably come up to the border of a fear for me, if I'm being totally honest. I don't want to do that. I don't want to disqualify myself, thinking I'm out here saving the world and, f and forsaking my own family. And so, just since we're here, <laughs> if you are somebody that prays for me, pray about that, that I would not fall into that trap. Because many have, and it's really unfortunate. <clears throat> they shouldn't be a new, a new convert so that they will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. I think that's pretty obvious to see why that would be the case. Must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Now, that's tricky. Uh, to some degree, if somebody's going to preach the gospel in a raw and real way, there's going to probably be some people outside the church that don't like them very much. But broadly, are they somebody that is out here picking fights all the time? And, or, or is it somebody that, that kind of broadly has a servant <clears throat> posture to the community? And, and that's recognized. That's, you know, some people aren't going to like that we say things like, uh, Jesus is the only way to God. Just right off the bat, now they're not going to be happy with you. We can't stop saying that, okay, under any circumstance. Uh, but <clears throat> I think you get my point. So uh, then, then, we, then verse 8, it, it pivots to deacons, okay? So... Um, as I said, able to teach is the standout difference between the qualifications for elders and deacons. I want to make sure I say this. That qualification of being able to teach does not mean that an elder has to be uh, 
there's nothing in here that says they have to be a skilled orator. Okay? So there's ways to teach other than this context on a Sunday morning. All right? So somebody can be skilled at teaching one-on-one or in small group settings just because they maybe uh, <clears throat> aren't particularly gifted to teach like this doesn't mean they don't meet that qualification. But they do need to be able to teach. That's, uh, and when you, when you go to Titus, there's a little more explanation. Uh, it, it comes down even to be able to d- defend sound doctrine because there are those that get confused and there are those that intentionally seek to twist uh, the doctrines of God to their own devices. So they need, they need to be able to stand firm on the faith uh, as given to us by Jesus. So, um, so what we see in, in 1 Timothy 3 is that elders and deacons are the two biblically prescribed offices of leadership within the church. All right? And the way that elders and deacons are meant to relate to each other, I think is most clearly seen in the original establishment of deacons. And we see that in Acts chapter 6. Okay, now the word deacon, I got to go at least one more Greek word. Can you guys handle one more? Just one more. Just give me this. All right. It's important. And, and, and this language stuff matters, especially in trying to sort these things out. They are complicated. And I tried, I thought a long time about how to simmer it down and simplify it. Not because I don't think you guys can handle complex concepts, but I know you guys aren't on average through the week out here playing with the Greek, you know, and figuring out how it, you know, ties to this whole idea of leadership structures in the church. So uh, but the, the, the Greek word uh, that was translated deacon is diakonos, and that basically translates to a servant, okay? So now I'm going to read you Acts chapter 6. This is widely regarded. I would say not very many people would disagree with this. This is like the original commissioning of the office of deacons, all right? So there was a, a dispute happening uh, during food distribution, there was Greek Jews, Hellenistic Jews, and then the, the ones that were uh, from Jerusalem, and, and there was some unfairness happening in the food distribution, and so that created a problem, and that's where we find ourselves in Acts 6. So it said, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve that's the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say this, uh, just because there isn't a a needed qualification for a deacon to teach doesn't mean no deacons can teach. Because if you know the story of Stephen, this brother threw down a fire sermon right before they stoned him to death. Okay, so this, this guy could handle his Bible, right? So Stephen was in the mix, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Okay. Now, because we're preaching a sermon on biblical church leadership, we had to talk about the office of pastors and elders, and I think it's good for us to do that from time to time, not only to remind 
the folks that are members here, why we are structured the way we're structured, but also to let people that maybe have come since the last time we've talked about it know why we're structured the way we're structured and what we believe about these things, the use of these words. Uh, but one other important question is <clears throat> how many pastors a church should have, okay? And the Bible doesn't give a number like, well, you need to have one elder for every 25 people. And I'm going to say this broadly, the Bible says less details about exactly how church governance should be done than I think most people that, that think about it. I, I wish there was more details. I wish there was something, there was a chart in the back by the maps that was like, here's exactly how we want you to set this up because it would reduce a lot of squabbling. It would reduce a lot of disagreement within the body of Christ because with what we are given, we, we are put in a position of doing our best to piece together what the Bible gives us and come up with best practices, okay? And so that leads to some differences of interpretation on how that works. But I think we also need to say there has to be grace uh, for that because God didn't get super specific, and so I have, to, I have to assume he knows what he's doing and that he did that for a reason. I think part of it probably has to do with this reality. Uh, the Christian church has been existing and trying to put forth this mission of the gospel going to the corners of the earth in many different countries, in many different places during many different time periods. And so what that means is there may have to be a little bit of flexibility in the way things are structured because certain things may not be best practices in Guyana in the same way that it is here or 500 years ago in the way that it is now, right? So I think there is a little bit of movement in the joints, probably by God's providential design. Here's what I don't think happened, is that God finished the Bible by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and was like, oh, I forgot to tell him how to do church leadership stuff. And I already had John say you can't add to it, so I guess they'll just have to figure it out, right? I, that, that's not what happened, okay? So why is... It, why is it kind of scant on details in certain places? Well, I have, to, I have to imagine that's on purpose, and God has a reason for it. And maybe the reason I came up with, it has nothing to do with it. You know, whenever you're venturing out on the branch of trying to figure out the mind of God when he didn't tell you why he did it, you know, you're probably above your pay grade, but I digress, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so the, the Bible doesn't say you need one elder for every 25 people or anything like that, but there is a strong case to be made for what is often referred to as a plurality of elders. A plurality of elders. And that just means having many elders. And so what this means practically is, is when, when it's possible, you don't have just one man with the authority and accountability of leading the church all on his own. Okay, If you're a note taker, uh, I'm going to fire some verses at you. And I don't have time to go look at them all. But Acts 14.23, Acts 11 verse 30, Philippians 1 verse 1, and Titus 1 verse 5. These are just a few of the places where we see multiple elders mentioned in a single local church context. Okay, And I think, uh, I think of the story of, of Paul saying farewell in Acts to the Ephesian Elders, right? There's many of them that were a part of that church from Ephesus. Okay, so <clears throat> those are just some references for you to maybe get started if if you want to look into that. Okay. So what is what is what is seeking to have a plurality of elders mean practically for us here at Love City Church? And I was trying to think about how to boil this concept down, and I think this is probably 
the cleanest I can get is. I'm going to say it real plain, all right? What this means here is if, you know, if you look at the org chart, all right, what we don't have here at Love City is Jesus at the top of the org chart. Jesus is at the top of the org chart. Let me say this. Jesus is the top of the org chart, okay? It's what happens after that that... (laughs) That I'm saying is not what you might think, okay? So Jesus, if Jesus isn't at the top of the org chart of any church, just get out of there, all right? I mean in a functional, real way. Jesus is the king of the church. This is his church. He's the chief shepherd. Anybody else is an under-shepherd. And if they're not real upfront about saying that and real clear about it, that's a red flag. Jesus is the chief shepherd, okay? So he's top of the org chart. What it doesn't look like here is that it's Jesus and then me as the founding pastor, and then all the rest of the elders under me. You will see that structure some places, or some variants of that. <clears throat> what it looks like here is Jesus is the top of the org chart, and that then any man that has answered the calling and taken on the accountability to care for the souls of the people in this church, the org chart is flat at that next level of elders. So here we have myself, we have Pastor Jordan, we have Pastor Andrew. There are also other men being assessed for uh, the calling of eldership, okay? And so what that means practically is uh, every elder here has taken on the accountability that we see in Hebrews 13, 17 to care for the souls of those who are members of this church. And if you're going to take on the accountability to care for people's souls, you have to actually have the authority to do that. All right, and I realize uh, I'm talking to people that come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Some of you have had really great church experiences. Some of you have had really terrible church experiences. And so, as soon as I start talking about things like what Hebrews 13:17 says that you should submit to the leaders that God has put in your life, and that they care for your soul, and that they have an authority to do that, I know for some of you those are those are trigger words, and, and I get it. And in terms of like, if you want to know what my church experience has been like, I've had a wild one, many ones, okay? So I've seen some of the jacked up stuff that can happen in the underbelly of churches and ministries and whatever, okay? Suffice it to say, it's, if God wasn't real and his grace wasn't upon my life, I probably wouldn't be a Christian today, much less doing this with some of the stuff I've seen and heard, Okay? So, but he is real and his grace is upon me. I'm real thankful for that, okay? Uh, <clears throat> real thankful for that. So, so that means, what that also means, and this is real important, is it's not just that every elder pastor here has an accountability to care for the souls of the people and an authority from God to do that, but it also means we have genuine, real deal, in-house accountability right here. What it means functionally is, if I lose my mind, if I get a girlfriend in addition to my wife, if I start stealing money, or I start sinning in some way that disqualifies me according to these qualifications in Titus or in Timothy, there are other godly men here that have the authority to say to me, you are disqualified. And you may not understand why that's important or good, But if you don't, it's because you probably haven't been in a church where that doesn't exist. Because I have, and it's gross. And it can leave a church congregation with really no recourse. Because if you got a guy that 
imagines himself the New Testament Moses can't be questioned, or, or worse, proxy Jesus, then you, you can have a church that's under the, the thumb of somebody that is in it for the wrong reasons, and, and there's really nothing they can do. That is not the position that you're in. Uh, and and it's, it's not just that I'd write a report and send it to somebody in some other state every quarter so that, you know, that's what accountability looks like. The, the elders here know each other. We're in each other's grill. Our wives know each other. You feel me? So here, here's what that means. I start being mean and harsh to my wife. I mean, you know, everybody has a bad day, but if, if it becomes a, like a sinful pattern... Guess what? My wife's going to call the elders and tell on me. And if I don't repent and I'm not willing to humble myself, I can have my butt sat down. And that is how it should be. And I also want you to know that here, we, we don't have a culture of the elders can't be questioned, or if I see something that's concerning, like, I, well, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want people to not believe me or whatever. Listen to me. If you think there's something going on that is sinful or, or disqualifying in terms of leadership here, you as a congregation member, as a, you, you are part of the priesthood of believers, you can step up and say something. You can ask questions. You can ask for clarification. Why did that happen? Why, or why does that, what's happening here? What the heck? And, and nobody's going to be upset at you about that. Now, if you take a position of like a constant problem causer just because you're being a butthead, then yes, we're going to we're going to push back on that and try to, try to teach you what we meant. But if there's genuine issues going on, this is not a hush-hush, uh, we're going to sweep under the rug. That's not how we operate, okay? We walk in the light as he is in the light, all right? That's, that's how it's going to be here. And, and I want you to know, I hope you feel safe about that. You, you, you should. And again, if that's not something you're like, oh, I don't know if that matters that much, you probably just haven't been in a spot where it wasn't that way. Because then you'd realize, man, that's... <clears throat> It's unhealthy, it's toxic, it's unbiblical, okay? Um, that mutual submission within a plurality of elders in a local church context where they really know each other, that mutual, here's, here's part of what it means, because the problem is oftentimes as people rise up the rungs of leadership in any organization, you start to get, you can get this kind of untouchable mindset, right? Like I'm the one that knows what's going on. I'm the leader. So what I say goes and I can just bark orders and everybody, I say jump, everyone has to say how high, this type of stuff. And, and that's really, I can't speak for business organizations and every other, but in the church, there should never be a situation where you have leaders that are not also submitted. Everybody needs to have people looking out and caring for their soul. And if you, if you don't know how to follow and submit, you are not qualified to lead. All right. I thought you might like that a little more than you did, but let's see if we got anything else in here. <clears throat> There's a lot more we could, that could be said on the office of elders, and, and in other sermons at previous times, we have said those things, but um, one of the reasons we wanted to include this sermon in this series was to give you an introduction to how we believe that deacons are meant to function in the church because our goal is to establish uh, deacons here this fall. And so it's something that um, we, we've had many people that have kind of functioned as deacons. We have, we have not formalized 
that role, and part of it is because <laughs> there's a lot of different ways to conceptualize like elders and pastors and all of that, and there's maybe double as many ways to see deacons <laughs> and how they're supposed to function. And so the elders have taken many, many, many months to think through, read, study, pray, and, and try to come to uh, the, the most biblical vision we can for how the office of deacon is meant to operate. Um, the Bible doesn't give a detailed description of the duties of deacons. We do see qualifications uh, as we do with the elders. <clears throat> and it gives even, the Bible gives even, we don't have a, a corresponding like that first Peter passage we read, you know, elders I exhort you. We don't have a, like a corresponding passage for deacons, so there's even less instruction to them than there is to pastors. However, that doesn't mean that we are left without a picture of how they're meant to function for the glory of God and for the good of the church. Um, Acts 6, which we read earlier, that was about the food distribution and you know, the selecting of those first deacons. Uh, that's, that's helpful. Acts 6 is helpful. Uh, also, we see mentioning of deacons like Phoebe in Romans 16 and some of what she did as a servant in the church. And so... Uh, <clears throat> Through those different kinds of examples, we can, we can come up with a, a vision, an idea of how deacons are meant to serve the church and, and function in, in the office of, of leadership that they have, okay? So this, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> again, I wish there was a passage of scripture I could just go read you to give you what I'm about to give you, but there, there isn't, all right? So we've had to take everything that the Bible does say about deacons and come up with like a definition and some guidelines for what it's going to look like. So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give you that now, and I'm going to say this as well right now. Uh, we've also got, we bought enough books that I think everybody that probably would care enough to take one will have an opportunity to, at, at the end of the service, take a book that lays out in, in maybe greater detail than I can in half of a sermon uh, the case for deacons kind of in the mold that we're presenting, okay? So those will be available after the service. I think Pastor Andrew will be handing those out. So go see him if you'd like one. And if we run out, we'll, we'll buy more. Uh, we'll get your name on a list. But okay, so when it comes to a, a, defini a definition of deacons as it pertains to how Love City sees them, okay? Here's your definition. What is a deacon? A deacon is a tested and trusted servant leader if you take this definition, run it back through what we just read about deacons in 1 Timothy, you'll start to see that some of this language is coming straight from Scripture, as it should. They're tested and trusted servant leaders in the church who assist the elders in accomplishing the mission and vision of the church and are examples of faithful discipleship and stewardship to the flock. That's the working definition Love City Church has of a deacon. All right, Deacons can serve by... And this isn't maybe exhaustive, but here's some things. Maintaining unity, meeting practical needs of the people, assisting the elders to execute the vision and mission of the church. Uh, deacons are model servants called to meet tangible needs, organize and mobilize service, preserve the unity of the flock, support the ministry of the elders, and further the mission of the church. Another kind of shorthand way to conceptualize this is that elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry, all right? That last idea comes out of Ephesians 4, that those leaders in the church, they're given to the church to teach them and train them how to do the work of the ministry, all right? That's where that conviction comes from, all right? 
So I gave you our definition and, and, and some shape to what it looks like. <clears throat> I don't know what everyone's background is, interaction with deacons, what they've heard about them. Uh, there, there are other models out there. Maybe, maybe one that is more common than not is, <clears throat> I think sometimes we end up importing some things from like our, our Western political system into the church and I'm not sure it quite belongs. So a lot of times what you end up with is kind of this idea that, okay, well, like the elders are the executive branch, the deacons are the legislative branch, and they're there to kind of offset each other and make sure, you know, that's like a checks and balances thing like we have in our government, right? Pop quiz, what's the third branch of government that I didn't mention? Who's got it? All right, you civics majors, that's awesome. I think I heard like three people say it right. The rest of you were like froze. (laughs) Executive, legislative, ah... Yeah. Anyways, I know you didn't come here to answer questions. Um, So that whole idea, like these kind of offsetting check and balances deal between the elders and the deacons, it just like I understand how you could get there, especially if you're an American, but it just doesn't show up in the scriptures. So, and again, I'm not going out here starting to fight with any other church that does it that way. Like everyone's doing their best, I'm sure, to figure out how to do this, but. I'm just telling you why we're not, okay? Because anything the Bible does say about deacons doesn't have it looking or sounding like that at all, all right? Uh, so you may be wondering, how will deacons be selected? Uh, there's really kind of two ways that could go. One would be that the elders would notice somebody that seems like they may be called and qualified to be a deacon, and we would approach them and ask them to consider being assessed, okay? The other way would be Somebody hears this sermon or takes the book or is thinking about it longer. The Lord begins to work upon their heart. If you believe that perhaps you're called and qualified to be a deacon and you desire to serve in that office, then you can approach the elders and we would then run you into this assessment process that we built. And that's another reason why it took many months to get this together is because we do offices of leadership here very slow and very carefully. And part of what we're looking for um, is that somebody at, at one level is, is, is functioning as if they're already in that office, right? I, I would say, I'll say it like this. When, when Pastor Jordan became an elder here and when Pastor Andrew became an elder here, I am certain that there were many people that when we stood them up and said, we are formally recognizing these men now as elders and pastors here at Love City Church, there were several people that were like, oh, they're not already? And when it comes to us assessing leaders, that's really what we're looking for. And that's going to be true of deacons as well, right? Because just a leadership principle broadly is not that you fancy yourself worthy of some title and and vie for that title and get the title and then start to serve and then start to lead. And if if leadership offices in the church, I think leadership offices in any organization... If, if you're looking for a model leader, if you're looking for like who should, be, who should be the premium leader that we're looking to to learn how to lead people well, okay? The kids would get this in kids' class. Who would you look to, Love City Church? Okay? So if I'm looking to Jesus as my leadership model, okay, then I've got God himself humbling him, himself to serve the ones that, that he created, right? 
So that's a, that's a little bit of a different leadership idea than the, the domineering tyrant type. I'm, I'm here to, you know, let everyone know how awesome I am and why you should follow me and la da 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 da. That's, that's not the way Jesus led. That also doesn't mean Jesus was a pushover, okay? Jesus was the perfect balance of tough and tender, and he knew exactly when to apply each. Because you have to have both as a leader, right? Shepherds have to be able to hold the sheep when they're scared, but also fight wolves when they come. And that's not easy, okay? It's, it's a lot easier, human nature-wise, to pick one. To be gentle or to be fierce. To be tough or to be tender. It's, it's very hard to walk in all of that. I would say it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit to do it well, okay? It's just, it's just not naturally a human thing to have all that in, in one package, but that's why we need the Holy Ghost <laughs> help, because this is really impossible without him. Okay, so um, we go slow when it comes to establishing people in leadership offices. I mean, it was years before either of the elders besides myself that are serving here. And that's, why is that? Is it because, you know, some arbitrary reason? No, man. It's because of the way Paul talks about the qualifications. Like, it takes serious time. Somebody can fake stuff for a little while. Somebody can act like they're gentle and peaceable and not pugnacious for a little while. But we, we need to see how they do deal with people. We need to see how they deal with hard situations. We need to see how they operate with their family over time. Okay? Um, and, and we also need to see how they function as, as a leader, how they take initiative within the household of God. Um, are, are, they willing to, are they willing to step up and serve and sacrifice without the title? Because uh, if not, they're not going to do it with the title. That's where you end up getting people that are just, they end up doing what Peter said not to do, which is just lording it over them, right? Uh, I'm kind of automatically suspicious of somebody that's just chomping at the bit to get that name tag that says, I have authority. If some part of you isn't a little bit hesitant about that and like intimidated by taking on that accountability that comes with that authority, then I'm already, I'm already suspicious that you may not even know what the heck you're talking about. Just letting you know. <laughs> Do with that what you will. You don't have to like it. I'm just telling you what it is, okay? Uh, I think there's wisdom in it, though. Uh, so another big question, <clears throat> and some would disagree with where we have landed on this, but uh, we believe the Bible points to women being eligible to serve as deacons, okay? Romans 16, we have Phoebe. Uh, some translations say deacon. Some translations say servant, but it's at diakonos. Uh, the, the things that are said about her and the way she served the church seems to fit the bill of a deacon. Uh, the other big kind of contention point, and, and I think the little book that we're giving you gets into this a little bit, and then we've got a bigger book that those that are interested in being assessed as deacons will give them. So I know it kind of gives both sides of this thing. I'm not going to get into a long debate, like scripture for scripture and this and that with you guys, but because it's complicated. <laughs> but we can just look at 1 Timothy 3.11. A lot of, a lot of the, the debate about whether uh, women should serve as deacons comes down to 1 Timothy 3, verse 11. Here in the New American Standard Bible, what, what? The one Jesus likes the best. It translates it very well, I think. 
Verse 11 says, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Okay, so that the Greek word there that the NASB translates women, it can also be translated wives, and it's not wrong. Okay, so you have to kind of take the context and, and everything else that's being said and, and how this is breaking down, and, and people have had to make a decision. What, what is that saying? Is that just talking about the wives of deacons, or is it saying that women can be deacons and it's giving some additional thoughts and qualifications if a woman, if a woman serves as a deacon. Taking all that we see in, in that the scriptures say about it and, and, and particularly kind of breaking down, the elders read a lot here about which way to see this, what's most biblically faithful. We believe the most biblically faithful position is that women can be deacons. Okay, so that's where we're at on that. Uh, if, if you disagree with that based on the tradition you came out of, uh, genuinely welcome a conversation about it. We can sit down, talk about it, look at the scriptures together, and try to help each other understand why we stand where we do. Okay? Um, as I said, that book is available for anybody. I, I'm assuming some of you hadn't thought about deacons in a while until I mentioned them today, right? So now you're probably like, oh, that's a thing. Um, and, and so we bought a ton of these small books, and it's like, you know, if you're an average-paced reader, it's maybe an hour, okay? If you want to dive into this a little deeper and understand more of, of maybe a more comprehensive view than I was able to give you today, feel free to take one of those books, okay? And uh, there's, there's a, a next level up from that book, uh, and, then, and then there's one that Alexander Strock wrote, which I don't even know how you could write a book as thick as he wrote about deacons with what the Bible says about deacons, but, you know, that's my guy Strock. So, in any case, we can get you all the info you want on deacons. Uh, you can go as hard as you want. Uh, and we'll, we'll make that stuff available to you. So, <clears throat> um, now, I told you I'd get to some application. For those of you that are like, sweet baby Jesus, why does this matter? Um, because I know there's some of you out there like struggling to believe me when I said this stuff matters. And, and I said some things at the beginning that I stand by, but, but just reason with me as we close this up. I know that this might seem like a sermon that's way out in the weeds, okay? I, I totally get that. Um, but, but biblical leadership is a crucial gospel issue. It really, really is. Because leaders who are in it for the wrong reasons or are unqualified can be a distraction from and a detriment to the gospel. It's maybe one of the more primary distractions from and detriments to the gospel. Okay? And so I, I want this church to know what the Bible says they should be looking for in leaders. Or if you're here visiting today and you're going to have to go out here and, and assess and you're, maybe you're looking for somewhere and you don't land here, if, if, we, can, if we can offer you anything, please Look at 1 Timothy 3. Look at Titus and, and, and look at the qualifications that God inspired the apostle to write. Not the things that men often look for, which is, did he make me giggle a bunch of times? And, you know, did I feel entertained? Like, like this whole sermon is a pretty good object lesson of, of the principle, right? There was a couple jokey jokes, maybe made you chuckle here and there, but that's really not what matters. That's just... That's just kind of who I am, and it comes out when I preach, right? I'm just kind of a goofball. But if I wasn't, what's really important is am I gifted by God to take the concepts in these scriptures and give them to you in such a way that you can digest them as the flock of God? Am I able to teach you? That's what's really important. Not do you like my outfit, not do you 
whatever, anything else. It really comes down to that. And then, to some degree, there, there has to be... <clears throat> I don't want to get in... I don't, I don't want to say more than I mean to say here, but there has to be some level of access between shepherds and sheep for you to be able to genuinely assess those character qualifications, right? So if the only relationship you had with me was, was 20 feet away on a stage and that's all you ever had an option to do, there was not the access for you to like get to know me, get to know my family, get to know the other elders and their families. I, I'm not, first of all, I don't know how I could genuinely care for your soul if I don't even know your name or anything about you. I don't know how I could be praying for you in a genuine way if I don't know anything about you. But also, how are you going to know if I'm pugnacious or not? Or quick-tempered or, 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 or temperate or all of the other things that we that said was important, right? You just be kind of taking someone's word for it. But he's funny, and he preaches short. I like that. I know you're not talking about me when you say that. I'm talking about, you could be talking about somebody else, of course, right? <laughs> Yes, glory. Uh, all leadership in the church should be looking to Jesus as their example. And they should be an example of Jesus to the flock. Paul said things like, you can follow me while I follow Christ. Because I know Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore. But I'm seeking to reflect him. I'm going to do it imperfectly. But you can trust at least that that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to be honest when I don't. Okay? <clears throat> when they aren't, that, when they aren't a good example of Jesus and they aren't seeking to follow Jesus' example, it can cause confusion among God's people and it, it can even cause some to be discouraged about participating in the life and mission of the church. I know some of you, that's not just a concept that you, you are trying to grasp. You've encountered that. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's just true. It matters. So this is tied to the mission. This is tied to the effectiveness of God's church broadly. Um, good leaders, and by good leaders, I mean leaders that are molded in the fashion of Christ, that care about the qualifications that God has laid out, that are about the Father's business and not their own business, um, <clears throat> that, that, can, that can make or break gospel effectiveness. And so it does really matter. Uh, not just can it harm the people of God, but it can even harm those who have yet to come to faith in Christ. Because if those who are supposed to be teaching people what it means to follow Jesus aren't accurately reflecting his sacrificial love and humility, then the messengers make it hard for people to trust the message. That is a barrier for many of even considering the claims of Christ today. Because if they've seen too much tomfoolery, these jackalopes out here, these false prophets and preachers, that it's just clear, like you don't even, people don't even know their, they don't even know what the Bible says about any of this and they can tell from a hundred yards away, like that can't be it. Something doesn't smell right, okay? But there's huge followings because they got pizzazz or whatever, or, you know, they're promising you that if you give to their enough faith seeds of their ministry, you'll get your own jet or whatever the deal is. It's real. I'm not, it's, I wish it was hyperbole, but it's not. The last thing for application, because I can tell I'm losing you, this is it. <laughs> when, when it comes to reading through these qualifications for elders and deacons, you might be like, uh, 
I need my nugget to take home for the week, my, my special take-home point. Well, here's your special take-home point, all right? These, these qualifications, yes, are pointed at elders and deacons, but just read them again and think about it. These are really qualifications for every believer. It's just that those that are going to stand in an office of leadership within the church are held to a higher degree of accountability to walk in these things consistently and faithfully. And so there's nothing in any of those qualifications, other than maybe able to teach, that doesn't apply to everybody that's seeking to follow Jesus. And so it was not a waste of our time. It was not a waste of your time for us to look at these things. And first, so, so that you know what to be looking for in a leader, that you know what to hold leadership accountable to, that's good, that's right and good, you should. But also, that idea that, that Paul put out there, this, this is not just the bar for leaders, this is the bar for every believer, really. And so, looking at these qualifications again, asking the Holy Spirit for you to be temperate and gentle and not pugnacious would be a great use of your prayer life this week. Okay? Let's pray right now. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these spirit-inspired qualifications and for what it shows you about your heart when it comes to leadership. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that it is very heavy to the side of considering the character of a leader as opposed to uh, their skill set. Lord, we oftentimes get that in reverse. We are very impressed with skills and sometimes highly undervalue character. Please help us to get wiser about that. Uh, and please help us, Lord, to see these things as you do and to understand their importance. And I pray, God, that uh, for every person within the sound of my voice, whether they're a member of Love City Church or not, that they would, be, they would have genuine gratitude for the leaders that you have established in the church, that they would be thankful for the reality that you have called certain people uh, to lay down their life to an even greater degree in service of the flock of God. And I pray for every person that is a leader here. May we, may we marinate constantly in those qualifications. May we remember the exhortation of Peter. May we shepherd the flock of God faithfully as under-shepherds. May we not do it for sordid gain or out of compulsion, but with joyful hearts, thankful that we would be afforded the great privilege of serving you, King Jesus, and your people in this way. Please guard the hearts of every leader against any bitterness or, or the burnout that can come from uh, what is sometimes the great strain of it all. And God, I pray for uh, this church that we would Every one of us would see these qualifications as something to strive for by the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And may we all stay out of anything that comes anywhere close to condemnation when we fall short in these things. May we rely heavily upon your grace. We need it. Thank you for your help, Lord. We love you. We worship you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.